Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please take up your Bibles, and we're going to hear from God in Hebrews chapter 8. Last week we looked at the first half of chapter 8, and this week we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 to 13. It's on page 1005. If you've got one of the blue, larger print, it's 1,192. Hebrews chapter 8, starting at verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. But he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, On the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. What is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Amen. Now, do you you ever wish sometimes that God did his whole salvation thing a bit differently? Uh, You know, have a think now. Have you ever ever thought, God, why don't you just, I don't know, appear in flashing lights? Or or why why did Jesus do this so long ago? Or or why hasn't he come back yet? I think sometimes when we we think that, we're just longing, aren't we? We're longing for everything to to be put right I wonder if there are other times we actually we kind of want God to do things on our own terms. We think, actually, we know a bit better. We kind of wish God would, would read our memo, take our advice a bit more some, than sometimes. But, but God, through his extraordinary story, story of scripture that we read, he wants us to see that he is doing things in a perfect, glorious way through his son, Jesus Christ. He's got it in hand. His, his plan from start to finish, it covers everything and will get us where we should be in exactly the right way. He doesn't miss a trick. He's leading us step by step. It's, it's incredible. He wants us to know 
that he has put everything in place so that we might be with him perfectly. That for him to be our God and for us to be his people, living perfectly under his rule, things at peace. Isn't that wonderful? If you're you're struggling um, this, this evening to see how God's plan is working out in the world, then just have a listen to what God is doing. Because the way he's put everything in place is through what the Bible calls covenants. Now, covenants are the the way God brings us to himself in a relationship. He brings us closer, closer than just creature and creator into something far more wonderful. Now, a covenant, it's a a little bit like a, a contract we have today. It has promises, it has stipulations, but it's also quite different from that as well because it's, it's put together by God himself. It's administered by him. We, we, we can't haggle over clauses and change the wording here and there. It, it's the king binding a people to himself. That's what a covenant is. And this, this document, this written agreement, it sits behind what God then does with his people. It's his, his promises, it's his conditions, it defines how he acts and how he calls us to act. It, it's vital. It's not a dull and dusty kind of document that sits in a drawer and, and you never look at it again. You know, without it, without a covenant, God would stay distant. Okay, we'd never know him. Imagine that. We'd, we'd just kind of owe him as our obedience, him as our creator, but We'd never know him as our Lord, our King, our Father, our rock, our delight. Without it, Christ would never have come. We'd be lost without it. Covenants really matter. And here in Hebrews 8, the writer wants us to know how wonderful God's covenants are. He's hinted at them already in the letter. He's he's spoken about them in in passing. But now in chapter 8, he tackles them head on. And he does it through this beautiful promise that God made back in Jeremiah 31. That's what he's quoting at length here that we read earlier. And the the writer wants us to, to show us, by using this quote from Jeremiah, how God has put in place an amazing situation where we can know God in confidence. That's where this is all heading. We can know God in confidence But like many other parts of his argument that we're looking at through Hebrews, he does it through contrast. And here the contrast is is between two covenants that God has made. There's the first covenant. That's the covenant that he's made with his people through Moses. Uh, You can see that in verse uh, 9. Jeremiah talks of the covenant that he made. When I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, he says. So it's the covenant he makes with Moses at Mount Sinai. It's sometimes called the Mosaic Covenant. And we've seen that focus in the rest of Hebrews. He's he's talked about, if you think about it, the priests in the order of Aaron that was set up in that covenant. He talked about the tabernacle that was set up in that covenant. He's going to come on to sacrifices, and it's just the same. So that's one of the covenants, the first, the old, the Mosaic. And then there's the new Uh, That's in God's uh, promise in in verse 8. I will establish a new covenant. And it's this new covenant that Jesus is specifically spoken of as the mediator. You see that in verse 6. So we've got these two covenants set in contrast to each other. One first old, the other new and better. Both giving a framework for God's relationships to his people. All to show us how we can know God in confidence. 
But to get, get into this, we've got to do a bit of digging. Because, firstly, although, although he's, he's contrasting these two covenants, we've actually got to see something significant. Because they're both about, this is the first thing, they're both about the same core. They've got the same core to them. Both covenants are about knowing God himself. Notice who the covenants uh, are between. Um, in the first line of the, the quotation in, in verse 8, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So it's the same God, isn't it? It's the Lord, Yahweh, the, the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who brought his people out of Egypt. The, the one who makes the first covenant with Moses makes the second, the new one. And he makes it with the same people. You notice it's with the house of Israel and Judah. That's a way of saying with all of his people, all of God's people, Israel and Judah had, had split, but God is still their God. So it's the same parties to this covenant. Then it's also got the same law at its core. Notice verse 10, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. You see, it's my laws. It's not new laws, but my laws, my eternal moral laws. At the, the heart of both covenants is a way of living, a way of relating to God that doesn't change. And the place of that law hasn't changed, it's on their hearts. In the old, David could say in Psalm 37, he, he says about a righteous person, the law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. And that's true of the new too. That's what's promised in the new. The, and the glorious, wonderful promise at the center of the covenant is also the same. End of verse 10, and I will be their gods and they shall be my people. It's a recurring phrase throughout salvation history, throughout scripture. It's used in the Mosaic Covenant. It's picked up with the prophets and it marks the end of history in Revelation 21. This has always been what it's been, uh, been about, belonging to God and he to us. This is the point of the covenant, of every covenant to make this happen, this grace, God making himself known to his people. And they just receive it by faith. It's amazing. Now, to try and understand this same core, and theologians have spoken about a, a, a single unified covenant that kind of goes behind, behind the Mosaic and the New Covenant and other covenants in the Bible. And they, they call it the covenant of grace. So it's this, this one covenant that brings about the same incredible reality of being God's treasured possession, all based on God's grace. It's the same relationship. The same core, it's about knowing God. So the old and the new, in a sense, they're, they're kind of two smaller covenants on a one umbrella. Think of it more like kind of the, the one overarching uh, covenant in two time blocks. Perhaps more helpful. It's, it's, it's a, perhaps like a present wrapped in, in different paper. The same present, although we see that illustration goes only so far. It's, it's wonderful news, this for us. The gospel is always the same. God's grace hasn't changed. It's, it's yesterday, today, and forever. It's a solid rock for us. But this is also important just to know it's the same core because it helps us contrast uh, these two covenants rightly. This is, not, this is not like a contrast but kind of between black and white or between oil and water. You know, this is more like a contrast perhaps between kind of two similar cars 
They're both transport machines, both with engines and wheels, both doing the same thing, but they're doing it slightly differently. Okay? And although we're the same core, they are different because the writer wants to see the difference. And, and firstly, he wants us to see fault with the old. He wants us to see fault with the old. And we see it right there in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. The old covenant is not faultless. There was a fault with it. And that, that fault was actually it's inherent uh, in the system. It comes from being a shadow. We saw this last week. The, the old covenant puts in place a system of relationships that's in the form of copies and shadows. See that in 8 verse 5. Uh, the Old Testament priests, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. So the Old Covenant sets up a, a ceremonial law of priests, of sacrifices, a tabernacle to mediate the relationship between God and man. And it's a shadow, a shadow of real things to come. And this shadow has its problems. We'll just spend a bit of time in them. Problems in its look and problems in its power. And as we see these problems but the point is that we see the glory of what happens in the new. So firstly, the, the murky look. There's a murky look to things. The old covenant, it, it created a look to the relationship between God and people that could actually only go so far. Even though the promises of God were the same, to look on them was just harder. It was murkier in the old. The, like the, the covenant kind of put darkened glasses on them. We, we see this in the way Jeremiah contrasts the old and the new. Like the fact that the exile hit them as a whole nation. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. God says he needs to make a new covenant. Why? Verse, uh, middle of verse 9. For they did not continue in my covenant. And what was the result of them breaking the covenant? Well, they went into exile. That's what Jeremiah was writing to. Now, we know there were people who did obey God. We know there were people who were trusting in God and staying faithful, but the, the way the old was set up means everyone was sent into exile as a whole. It's like chucking a, you know, a whole load of washing into the washing machine, even though it's got a load of clean stuff in it, because there's so much dirty uh, washing in the midst of it. And so for a believer, it was, it was harder to see for a believer how secure they were in God's hands when, when as a people, you've all been thrown into exile to Babylon, it's a murky look. Also, the old had a, had a greater external focus. We see that in verse 10. God, in verse 10, focuses on the law being in their minds and on their hearts. He's reiterating this, this internal, spiritual, heart focus. Now, why does he do, need to do that? Well, because... The old, with all its covenantal trappings, had a lot of external elements to it. We've seen that over the last uh, few chapters of Hebrews. The law, it was written on stone and put in the ark. The sacrifices, it involved a lot of animals and altars and knives and, and blood and fire. Then there was promises of the, the physical land that they were going to live in with blessings and curses that, that impacted their physical lives. Now, these were meant to point them to the inner and heavenly realities, but it was a lot harder to see. It's a lot easily, it's more easily forgotten. We, you know, we know we can be tempted to do the same, can't we? We can just focus on the externals. Perhaps we just recite the Lord's Prayer like we thought about this morning. We just can recite it without actually meaning the words. 
That was, that was so much more an issue for God's people then. All the externals often made it murkier for them to see. And lastly, the teaching system didn't help. It was much more exclusive. We see that in verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. But the focus here is that last line, from the least to the greatest. God, God promised that knowledge of him it wouldn't be exclusive in the new, dependent on your status. And the old, old covenant, it was the priests who were the ones who taught scripture. So this, this promise suggests the way priests both learned the scriptures and taught the scriptures, it didn't trickle down to everyone. It's, it'd be like having a Sunday service, we wouldn't have any Bibles, and a load of you would just actually be put out in the hallway so you couldn't actually hear the sermon. Okay? It was just exclusive. There was something exclusive about the teaching system. So believers, to, to see the wonder of God's promises, it was a murkier, much murkier look. It was limited. The, the old covenant created a system that could only go so far. It's like having an amazing computer system, amazing processing seed, speed, extreme capabilities, kind of inside a robot that, that had limited movement. The, the arms can only move so far. The lights can only go certain colors. A wonderful relationship between God and his people inside a, a limited shell for a time. A murky look. And Moses in it must have felt it, must have felt those limitations. Imagine it must have been hard as they saw their nation exiled and were exiled themselves, or the, the internal realities forgotten amongst their people, or the, the weak not even taught the scriptures. There must have been a longing for the new. Do you feel that longing that they will feel? There's fault in the old. First, it's a murky look. Well, second, it's in the missing power. The missing power. The thing about the shadow is it needs something real to exist. You know, you, you can't get a shadow without something creating it, okay? You know, shadow puppets, they're not magic, okay? Uh, they're hands making them. And it's the same with the old. The old needs the real. It needs something real, the new. And I think this helps us with what, uh, understand why the Jeremiah quotation, for perhaps that you found this, uh, I did, on my first reading is quite strange. Because the, the promise of Jeremiah seems to say there's a new covenant and what uh, and then God promises exactly the same things as the old. I will be their God and they will be my people. How can it be new if it seems to say the same promises as the old? Well, it's by, uh, by attaching the same promises to the new, what God is doing is he's saying, actually the real power is only found in the new. I'll explain that, don't worry. In, in verse 8, God says he's, he's going to make a new covenant for the end of verse 9. They, they did not continue in my covenant, the old one. In other words, there's fault in the old. Then in verse 10, he states why he's making a new covenant by restating his promises. In other words, for the new covenant will do what the old covenant on its own could not do. So the old covenant and its shadowy system, it could not generate the incredible relationship with God on its own. On its own, the old has no power. 
Now, this shouldn't have been a shock. Old covenant believers should have known they needed something more. The whole look of the old covenant pointed to this. And the writer to the Hebrews, he's been picking up on it along the way. In chapter 7, he reminded us that the priests kept dying. They couldn't fully save. Then the tabernacle, in all its glory, we looked at this last week, was, was knowingly based on a heavenly pattern. It wasn't the real thing. And then when he comes to sacrifices in chapter 10, if you just have a look at 10 verse 4, it says, for it's impossible, 10 verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sacrifices in themselves could never actually atone. The the look of the covenant and all its external ceremonies, they all knowingly lacked power. It's as if the wrapping paper was reminding them there shouldn't be a present in here. It's a shadow. It needs the real. Now, we know, we know a, 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 without power, a religious system is a complete farce, isn't it? Same today as it was then. You know, without power, prayer, it just becomes speaking to the air. Sacrifices become just animal slaughter and a waste of good meat. Pre- priests could be doing something better with their time. Let's never be a part of a religion with no power. And the old then, on its own, was missing power. But that doesn't mean it was on its own. Many were saved in the Old Testament. Okay, your brains might be worrying at this point. How? Many Israelites were forgiven saints. Hebrews is going to be really clear on this in chapter 11. It's a very famous chapter of all the Old Testament believers, those of faith, those who knew God, who trusted him, were saved by God. But the power to save didn't come from the old. The old had power added to it because the new was to come. Now, we're going to come on to the power of the new in a moment, but somehow, God in his sovereignty, he used the new to save those during the time of the old. It's like the the old was kind of paid on credit card, which was all paid off in the new. John Calvin says, God was extending the grace of the new covenant to the fathers, to the old In other words, he's extending it backwards as they sacrificed an animal in the Old Testament, trusting God to forgive their sins. God truly and really forgave them based on the power that was to come in the new. The old was missing power on its own. And that's why the contrast in Jeremiah is so strong. The old failed, so we need a new That's why the writer to the Hebrews says, we need a second. The old always needed the new. The first always needed the second. Because it's a shadow. A shadow needs the real. And looking at the old covenant sitting on its own is like looking at a car without an engine. It needs a a supercharged V10 engine that it doesn't inherently have. The old in its shadowy look was missing power and longing for the new. So as you, as you read through your Old Testament, feel that tension. God has promised himself, has bound himself to his people. He's made them his treasured possession. And yet throughout it, there's a longing. 
There's a longing for the real to come. The old, it's only a shadow. Those in the Old Testament, they're looking at God's promises through murky glasses, waiting for new lenses. The the, the brakes are on their car, they're they're always on, and they they need a new wheel system in a sense. They, They had the seed, but the seed still was in its husk. They had all the potential and goodness, but they were waiting for the seed to, to fully flower and to come to full blossom. The fault with the old, it's in its look and its power, but the new has come. That's the wonderful thing of this. The new has come, and it's the faultless new. 8 verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Christ mediates a better covenant, the faultless new. The the seed of the old has broken out into the flowering of the new. The reality that created the shadow has come. God has created a covenant that that rather than failing in look and power, brings everything together. It perfectly brings about the wonderful promise. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Let's just take a look at some of the features of the new covenant, because they show this, the look. Rather than being limited and murky, it, it blossoms into technicolor. You know, rather than a nation that as a whole crumbles in their faith and is sent off to exile, God's people, we're, we're now remade in Christ. The, um, the net has widened it's to, to include all nations and tribes and languages. It, it, it crosses boundaries. So what unites God's people, it's become clear, it's Jesus. Yes, there are, there are many people baptized into God's covenant who reject him, but rather nation and church kind of getting confused, the, the church remains on the whole clear. You know, as we live in 21st century Scotland, we can come together today, brothers and sisters, on a Sunday and encourage one another. And that means as a whole, not necessarily as individuals, but as a whole, we will never Never be charged with breaking his covenant again. Exile doesn't await for us, his people. There's a wonderful security. God's people with their gods. And that's because in the new, the the internal and the heavenly focus of God's work has become central. Just think God's, God's poured out his Holy Spirit on his people at Pentecost and beyond. So we, we began to see God's people united to Jesus bearing his righteousness in our lives, sanctifying us in his image, his law written on our hearts, all by his spirit. As you see your life changed, your your self-control grows, I don't know, you become more gentle and kind. So that is the spirit writing his law on our hearts. And although we still need teachers, as Hebrews and other New Testament letters are clear on there, there isn't or shouldn't be a hierarchy and exclusiveness anymore. God's word, it's taught by his spirit, reaches any and every type of person. Christ's covenant people united to him in heart and spirit. No wonder God says of the new, I will be their gods and they will be my people. The look of it all shows this. It's like the the outer robot robot is beginning to match the power that's within it. It's the faultless new. And this is all because the power has finally come. The power has come. 
Now, how has it come? End of verse six. Since it is enacted on better promises. The question is, well, what better promises? Well, let's take a look again at Jeremiah's prophecy. Verse eight and nine, Jeremiah says he's gonna make, God's gonna make a new covenant because the nation broke the old. Verse 10, it's new because it will do what the old on its own couldn't do. It's actually gonna save them. But how will it do this? Verse 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Once again, God's promise of forgiveness isn't new in itself, but instead he's saying, I will actually, fully, totally deal with their sin. That's the better promise. Rather than priests making sacrifice after sacrifice again and again, there's going to be a full, complete salvation. The writer's going to come on to the the sacrifice in detail in chapters 9 and 10, but God can say, I will be merciful towards them. I will remember their sins no more because in the new covenant, Sin is ultimately once for all time dealt with. There really is a power to the covenant and it's because the mediator has come. Christ himself, the eternal son, born of Mary who lived a holy and perfect life, who then died on that cross, a sacrificial death to make it happen. He's now a high priest in heaven. The the supercharged engine has arrived. The, The mediator has come. That's the power. Uh, Simon Austin, a minister in England, when comparing the the new covenant to, to promises made at a wedding, he put it nicely like this. He said, the new covenant's promise is not till death us do part, but because of my death, we will never part. That is a better covenant. Amen to that. And so God... God can say, I will be their God and they will be my people. Oh, how we can now see. The new has burst into bloom. It's the faultless new. It's not like the old, restricted by the look, longing for true power to arrive. We see it. We see Christ. We see his mediation. We see his his death on that that cruel uh, cross 2,000 years ago risen into glory. We see Christ securing God's people as his own. Even though some things will finally be completed on the final day when Christ returns, you know, the full full purity of his people, the the full knowledge of God, sin completely banished from our hearts, although those aren't yet completed, the victory has still been won. The new faultless covenant, it's in place just as after D-Day in the Second World War, victory in Europe we know is guaranteed. We were, we were just waiting for V-Day, knowing it would come. Well, so Christ's death, it secured the new covenant. It secured God's covenant, and we await for it all to be put in place. Now, we know the old covenant was secure because God can't lie. When he promised forgiveness, he meant it. But, but there's such a difference in what we get to see in what we get to experience. Seeing at what Christ has done, this side of the cross, you know, seeing the churches growing, seeing the influence of God's spirit. In other words, seeing the new covenant, it, doesn't it just make the old look like sand compared to a rock, like putty compared to steel? If you're wondering, 
how can God be my God? How can I, of all people, be one of his people? Sometimes you wonder how God can call you his child. And look to the new covenant. Look to the mediator of it. And see how Jesus has brought it about. There's power to what we believe, friends. God has come in Christ. This is why God has done things the way he has. His way is so good. We can't improve on it. It's as if we've walked out of the city through a wooden gate and into a beautiful wood. Wonderful trees with with bright green leaves. Flowers blooming in, in lots of colors. Birds singing a harmony of song. Rabbits and deer foraging for food. And it's as if the writer to the Hebrews is, is just getting us to take a moment to look around us, to see where we are, to soak in the sights and the sounds. We are no longer in the old. We're in the new. Take it in. Breathe in the fresh air of the new. Take in what Jesus has won for us. We live in the days Jeremiah looked forward to. We get to see God's grace in in its fullness, in its evidence, in its spiritual power. We are so secure in God's hands. We can know him. We can have confidence in knowing him. And although this might not be your temptation, it's important to say this means we must not go back to Judaism, to its priests, its temples, its sacrifices, to its ceremonies and festivals. Verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The the coming of Christ, the the enacting of this effective and, and, and power of this new, it dismantles the covenant of the old. The plant has broken out of the husk and the husk has been discarded. In a sense, when Christ comes, the old says, my work here is done. But if that's true of the old covenant, just think about it. If that is true of a system of religion that God himself put in place, that he revealed to Moses on a mountain, a covenant that he held his people to, that he restricted himself to, a pure and good covenant, if if Christ gets rid of that so we don't need to keep it, well, how much more does it mean that any other system of religion should be utterly abandoned? Just think, God got rid of his own system when Christ came. How much more should we never follow the things that he's never put in place? Jesus Christ is God's way for us to know him. Jesus Christ is God's mediator. It's in him alone that we might say, God is our God and we his people. Oh, may we never drift towards a spiritualism that denies that we need Jesus or or calls Jesus just one way among many, or towards towards a a religion like Islam that says Christ is only a prophet and his, his death abhorrent. Instead, let us stick with Jesus and respond like Peter who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's the faultless new. We can see the wonderful work of God. What a privilege we have to be part of it. Let's pray.